following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Certainly glad to uh, have you along for yet another episode of the Car Guys Report. And Lou, I was going to ask you... Um, now that uh, hopefully you're driving your Viper uh, here and there in the uh, warmer weather, uh, have you ever had any issues with uh, the drivability or runability of uh, your Viper? It's got that big V10 engine in it. Once in a while, a Prius will get stuck under the <laughs> fender well. but uh, Sucked into the intake manifold. Yeah, it usually gets sucked in because it's uh, it's relatively light, and uh, but I usually can blow them right off the side with the exhaust pipes facing it. No, on a serious note. Um the only uh, uh, thing I ever had was I had a catalytic converter issue one time mm. that was set, sending off a oxygen sensor. Yeah. But once we changed the catalytic converter, it's been it's been perfect. Yeah. I mean, bulletproof, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I enjoy it. I think uh, most modern uh, cars, uh, and modern I mean by fuel, you know, computer control, electronic fuel injection, they just amaze me because. Um, I've currently in my collection, I've got three cars that are carbureted. My 75, uh, Firebird Formula 400 has a four barrel, uh, it's either a Rot, I think it's a Rochester. I'm not sure. It's either a Rochester or a Carter, but it's a four barrel. Uh, my 58 Impala has a two barrel, uh, carb. And then my 1980 Saab, uh, which is a Euro, uh, spec, because I imported it from Sweden, that has a god-awful two-barrel Solex. And most people that have a, a Saab 96 with a V4 engine, they will dump the Solex and throw on a Weber, and the Weber does make the, the car run a lot better. But the reason I don't like to, to do that is, is threefold. One, it takes away from the originality of the car, and I'm all about stock originality for most things. But when you do that, it takes away from the originality from the standpoint that you can't use the stock air cleaner anymore, and it's also got a manual choke, which the cars never had. They always had automatic chokes, so then you got to put a manual choke on. And to me, it's just not worth the... I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. I'll just keep up with the <laughs> crappy Solex. But the reason I bring this up is because, yeah, the fuel-injected cars, you know, like my Aston Martin will sit for three months, press the start button and the thing fires up in you know half a second and runs perfectly and of course you know i treat my gas um with fuel treatment for uh you know the winter months when the cars are not on the road but i for whatever reason and it's happened more or less in the last six months and it may just be something with the automatic choke but this is getting back to the crappy solex carb on the on the sob and, and this carburetor that's on there now is only two years old i actually bought a completely remanufactured unit from germany it's not just rebuilt it's actually remanufactured where they basically just just make a whole new carb out of what's there and they machine the the bottom of it so it fits to the uh the manifold correctly and everything and it runs better than the carb that was in there which was you know the the, the stock two barrel solex and this is another two barrel solex but just hard starting lately and Everyone tells me that it's probably the gasoline because here in, in the Midwest, we have all our gas has 10% ethanol in it. And it's just been my experience lately that carbureted cars don't 
run well on this ethanol gas. And I don't know if it's the summer winter blend too, because you've always got that 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 weird part of the the spring or the fall where you're transitioning from the summer blend of gas that they make to the winter blend, but then the weather's still not cooperating, and it happens twice a year in the in the fall winter uh, winter spring area and i don't know if it's if that's part of it because you have to get that old gas out the old winter gas and get the summer blend in and then hopefully the temperatures will be warm enough but i did try putting in some lucas ethanol gas treatment it's about uh, 10 bucks a bottle is green and it doesn't say anything that it helps in um your car starting better but it says that it it basically helps fight the 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 bad effects of ethanol in the gas so it's a little too early to tell uh whether that's going to be a success or not uh because the car still is a little bit hard to start but once it starts and warms up it's it runs fine so it may be that uh, a tweak on the automatic choke but i thought that the gas treatment would be worth a try and uh i'll kind of report back to see if it works any better or not but improve that horsepower from 60 to 65 exactly yeah 65 to 68 we'll do it but um we'll see what happens but one uh thing that we like to talk about too on the uh, car guys report here is cars that we've seen on the road Uh, and one car that that i saw a few weeks back and you don't see them very often and i even looked them up on hemmings to see what they sell for and if they're even around and they're around but very hard to find remember the Datsun 510 just the classic little two-door Datsun kind of squarish and people love that car and there was a big like rally road road racing car too yeah it's a toaster with windows oh it's awesome though and i saw i just saw absolutely box stock Datsun 510 in that perfect orange you know that kind of like not a bright orange it's kind of like more of a yellowy not ye- yep. even yellowy you know exactly what color i'm talking about kind of a more of a muted orange which is the classic color for that car and it's like wow and i went to hemmings because that's always my start to see what's out there and i don't think there was a single Datsun 510 for sale in the entire country you close the door and it ding. <laughs> yeah, it <dings>. yeah. <laughs> but a very cool car to see on the road and it just it, it excited me because i just love seeing I mean, obviously, we love seeing all kinds of different cars on the road. But when I see a car, when you identify a car that you know is stock or appears to be stock, at least from it driving past you or something, to me, that just makes me feel good because it's like there's somebody that's that's maintaining the originality aspect of it. True story on that car. My friend had one of those. His sister, I think, had one. And we would park it. He would stick the nose in. He would get out, grab the back bumper. He was relatively strong. And, and move it. Drag it over into the parking <laughs> spot. <laughs> Actually, somebody did that once when I was in high school. We had a 76 Saab 99, which is not a lightweight car, but it's front-wheel drive. And I was at a friend's house, and the car was parked in the driveway. And I went inside, or I was away from the car for a while. And, and my buddy and, like, two of his buddies that I didn't really know too well did that exact thing with the Saab. They grabbed onto the big rubber bumper and back, and they moved it over, not too far, but a couple feet. And they were able to do that, even with that car, which is not as lightweight as a 510. But, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Those were the days, right? Yeah. You can't do that anymore with uh, with cars because uh, they weigh too much. But we'll see what happens with that. But we are the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. If you like what you're hearing on the Car Guys Report, I'm Mark Vernon with Luke Hostable. We're available online at radiomisfits.com. Just uh, go to that website and check out not only our podcast, but all the Radio Misfits 
uh, podcasts that are available online. You can follow us, Car Guys, uh, at Car Guys Podcast on Twitter. You can also email us. We'd love to uh, get your thoughts and comments about the program. You can email us at carguysreport at hotmail.com. You know, we're not getting any older or any younger, Lou. I wish we were getting uh, younger, but we're not. We're when getting I'm, older. When I'm around cars, Mark. I'm about seven. Yeah, so. okay. Uh, <laughs> mental age, seven. <laughs> Physical age, classified, right? Um, and I'm not usually one to get into these uh, these bucket lists uh, that you see from time to time. You know, bucket list is something that people say that, you know, you make a list of things you want to do before you die. And... I came across this bucket list, and actually, most of this stuff isn't too bad. And I've done some of this. I've done uh, not some of it, but we can definitely interact and, and talk about what our feelings are if this is true bucket-worthy material. But this is the Car Guys bucket list, and we're only going to talk about half the list. We'll do the second half in another show because there's a lot of things and the, a lot of things to talk five. about. This is the top ten, actually, because it was a it was a long list. Yeah, okay, but uh, no, n- not really in any particular order. But and I know I had asked you this before, Lou. Uh, one is just do basic car maintenance. Um, for a long time, I did a lot of my own wrenching on cars. Nothing, I, I wasn't into rebuilding engines, but I would do like brakes and I've done a clutch job or two on my old sobs and obviously just like general maintenance. I still am kind of getting back into that just a little bit. I'm, I'm going to be doing my own oil changes again for various reasons, but that's, that's one of the things that was on the list. And I know you said you don't really do too much on your own as far as basic maintenance is concerned or. Yeah, no, I try not to. Yeah. But I mean, you're, you're, you're knowledgeable enough though, too, that, I mean, you should know where to put your oil in and where to check your oil. Well, yeah, I know all the parts <laughs> of the car. I can point them all out. Uh, number two, or actually I don't want to enumerate these, but another one on the list, and this is something I have not done and they keep talking about it actually going away eventually too, is drive on the Autobahn in germany you know no speed limits and they keep talking about maybe i know sections of the autobahn now are actually speed limited and and it seems like the sections that are not speed limited are getting um fewer and farther between i think that would be very cool Uh, i think it would would have to take a lot of guts though too because the people here the drivers in the u.s are left lane hogs but in at least in germany they're accustomed to the proper driving etiquette of not hanging out in the left lane and when you're on the autobahn and you're in your bmw or mercedes bombing along at 160 miles an hour or over there it'd be uh <sighs> kilometers it'd be even higher than that like 100 and let's just say 170 kilometers per hour which would be about 145 miles an hour something like that and they see your 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 brights coming up in their rearview mirror they move over they don't uh, sit there and hog. You know, they 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 know name, they know lane discipline, and uh, I think that would be just very cool. Just to just to actually just drive a car at speed the way it's been designed to to perform, and being able to do it on something like an autobahn where you can just bomb along. I think that would be a lot of fun. Now, another item on the bucket list, Lou, is something I've done because I've owned a couple of them actually. Is drive a V twelve engine. Nice. Yeah. You can drive a V10, right? That's what's in your Viper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can drive a V12 because it's in my Aston Martin. And it is, it's an experience. It makes great sounds. It's got a lot of power. It sucks gas. But um, 
if you can drive a V12, and there's not, there's, there's fewer and farther between V12s. Uh, Mercedes still makes one. BMW still makes one. You can still get one in a Rolls. You can get a W12 in a uh, Bentley, which is still a 12-cylinder, but it's not in an entire V configuration. And then if you go back, uh, turn the clock back a little bit, you can find the uh, Jaguar uh, V12s from the uh, mid-70s through the mid-90s. But it is an experience, and I, I definitely agree with that. And here's something that I think that we were just talking about earlier off uh, before the show started. Drive a rear-engine VW Beetle. And uh, definitely have done that in the past uh, growing up. And we were just talking about, too, on a future episode, we're going to talk about cars are dad's owned because uh, we had any number of Beetles. We had a Carmen Ghia, we had two Beetles, and we had a VW bus. So those are all rear-engine, air-cooled Volkswagens. And I actually learned to shift on a VW Beetle, too. That's I learned to shift on a VW Beetle, too. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So forgiving. <laughs> Well, not only so forgiving, but I remember my dad having uh, the way the car left our family was it was so forgiving in the front uh, floor pan. So he did kind of a Fred Flintstone. <laughs> he put the brakes on it, literally went right through the floor. So it was forgiving, all right. But you know, just a great car to, 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 to buy and to drive and to have fun. And they're, they're another car that's actually gone up in value, too. It's hard to find a, a good VW Beetle for probably under about eight grand these days, but... Um, and they just finally stopped making them, too, for the second time or third time in a row. Uh, another one I've, I've thought of, and, and I know that you've had a couple of SUVs. I've had a, a handful of SUVs in my ownership experience. I currently have a Porsche Cayenne. Um, I've had a Isuzu Trooper. And I also had a, a 1988 Mitsubishi Montero two-door, which is the, the cool one. The, the, the Japanese, or the, the car was marketed as the Pajero, P-A-J-E-R-O, in other parts of the world. And that's, that's, that's a, one of the more classic Monteros because it's very Jeep-like. It's very rugged-looking, and it's very angular. And I've never gone truly off-roading in, in any of my vehicles. And I always thought it would be kind of a, a neat experience to do that. Have yeah. you ever had those dreams or... Have I ever four-wheeled? Yeah. Not in my cars. Okay. But yeah. have you been with other people? I have four-wheeled. You have? Yeah. What, it's Rubicon fun. or? <laughs> no, yeah, j total straight Jeep Wrangler okay. type, you know, four by four, nothing, uh, nothing for the record, nothing crazy where we're going sideways up a hill. Yeah. But yeah, no, and it's it's fun. It is. It, it, it does look fun. And they've almost dumbed it down a little bit too much these days with the hill descent controls and the, um, how was it, uh, Land Rover with the new, uh, wasn't the Discovery, the new Velar or something has some, another, you know, putting cameras everywhere on cars these days and it has something where I think it has a camera, something like on the front. So you can actually see your descent as you're from the driver's seat or something like that. Some hmm. crazy thing. Kind of like, I've always wondered not to get too far off topic here, but how they do the, uh, surround view on your camera where, where you can be in your car and you get a, it's like if there's a, a bird looking at the top of your car and you get the total surround view. And somebody told me how that works, and I still can't wrap my head around it because it's just like, how does that work? Yeah. How do they get that, you know, above you? But anyway, um, and this is something, another uh, list on the bucket, uh, another item on the bucket list, visit a car factory. And mm. I've visited breweries before, but uh, not a car factory. I think that would be very, very cool to do. Um, especially some of the, the super high-tech factories like the Ferrari. Have you ever seen the Ferrari factory? 
Haven't seen the Ferrari factory. Been to Shelby American. Okay. So that was fun because obviously it wasn't uh, total production going down an assembly line, but they were ripping apart Mustangs and putting pieces all together sure. on them, sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the pictures I've seen, I've, I've watched documentaries on the Ferrari factory, and it's really not, you know, like you just said, it's really not an assembly line. The Ferrari factory has these, you know, everything's painted white inside. It's got a lot of natural light. It's got plants inside it. It's How just like it's, it's made? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's, that's where it was. Yeah, yeah. just amazing. Those and, are cool shows. Yeah, very cool. And I always love seeing them put the engines together. Together. Yeah. The way they just, it, they make it look so easy. <laughs> um, track day. Have you ever done uh, yes. any? I have too. Okay. What have you done? Extreme Experience asked me to come out on my YouTube channel and they said, Lou, would you mind driving a couple of cars for us? I said, well, what would you like me to drive? They said, how about a uh, Porsche, um, excuse me, it was a, a Ferrari 488, mm. which was the uh, Ferrari turbo new one and they said lou would you like to drive a lamborghini Huracan?" so they twisted my arm <laughs> yeah real hard i bet right <laughs> and uh, i went out there and it was a wonderful time and cool. they do have porsches and they have mclarens and uh it was out at uh, autobahn and joliet and it did, was wonderful did you have an instructor with you then or were you on your own yeah or? that how it starts is you have to go through and truck instructor training video first and then they actually take you out in the pace car so you can understand the track and then they have a driver next to you so that uh he gives you instruction it was a he in my car he gives you instruction on what to do and when to brake and when to turn and etc so it was it was really great what kind of speeds were you seeing well i'm just quoting my instructor he said lou you were one of the fastest speeds today i was up at 139 wow not yeah. bad and that was in the La uh, Lamborghini? That was in the Ferrari. Oh, okay. Cool. I haven't done anything like that, but uh, a couple decades ago, I was dabbling in um, the uh, high-speed autocrosses and then also the parking lot or Gymkhana mm -hmm. uh, solo autocrosses. Uh, the parking lot stuff is a lot of fun because it's more about just your skill of weaving through cones in a predetermined course in as short of a time as possible. But you're not getting any real speeds up to that, but you're using your brakes and your steering. And then I've done the high-speed autocross, which is not wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing, but where you're out on a track like a Blackhawk Farms up in near Rockford, Illinois, or Gingerman Raceway in Michigan, where it's like a 1.8 or 2-mile road course. And you're out there, ostensibly you're out there one at a time, but there's always somebody in front and back of you, but well back, so it's not going to be a problem. And you're racing just against the, the clock. And it's basically you run in your class, whatever your, however your car slots into class, stock, modified, whatever. And um, it's up to you to just go as fast as you want. And if you wreck your car, you wreck your car. Yeah, um, Donna does that same thing out at the Target in Elgin. <laughs> she gets in the SUV and she rolls right through the whole thing. It's just really fun to watch her. Does she get red flagged <laughs> or black flagged? Usually there's some security person who puts their lights on and she, she works her way out of it every time. But I haven't done that in ages, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's something about just being on a racetrack and knowing that you're not going to get pulled over for speeding. That That is really... The, the feeling that makes it the most fun. Yeah, you're encouraged to speed, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then two museums that I I would agree with are bucket list worthy, and I'm sure you've been to at least one of these since you're the uh, man about town. The uh, Peterson Museum in L.A., have you ever been there? I just videoed two cars from there, that, but I wasn't there. I was actually at uh, Orange, um, they call it the uh, Orange Fairgrounds, Orange County Fairgrounds uh, in uh California and Costa Mesa. Okay. And I videoed a uh, 57 um, 
57 Cadillac Eldorado Baritz convertible in red. That was fantastic. And then I videoed Preston Tucker's Tucker. So that was pretty cool. But I haven't been to the Peterson. That is someplace I'd like to go. And yeah, it they, is, definitely. They're very nice. They said they want the Lou come by anytime. And then um, another one that they said that you should visit, and this is probably more of my, my alley just because I'm a European guy, is the Lane Motor Museum in Nashville. Hmm. Are you familiar with that one? No, that's a new one. Oh, it's me. supposed to be amazing. He has like, uh, it's not just microcars, but he's got one of the biggest collections of microcars, and not just the, <laughs> the standard microcars like the Messerschmitts and the uh, DAFs and things like that, but just these like unbelievably goofy even goofier than those cars mm. but it's in nashville and that'd be a nice a nice little drive to, to go down there and check that out but that's supposed to be a fantastic place to go and then i don't know how we would do this but this is the last item on on this half of the bucket list and we'll get back to the second half at a, in a later show is talk to an automotive designer and I've never personally known anyone that's actually I've never known anyone that's actually worked in the auto industry, let alone a designer. But uh, it would be very cool to see the process, the thought process of how they come up with things. And well, one of them I just saw, Jay Leno's Garage. He did his Ford GT, the 2005 or six. I think it was 2005 because he had one of the first ones. And they had uh, uh, the Ford designer, Camelo. Uh, I um, I would butcher his last name, but uh, he was talking about how he designed that car because Jay was thinking, well, sometimes I do my own cars. However, it would be great for the designer to come out here and tell about all the cues. And it was interesting to listen to him, mm -hmm. how he designed a car, especially that beautiful of a car with all the cues. So if you go to Jay Leno's garage and punch up 2005 Ford GT, it's, you're, you're going to see it. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, I would definitely uh, want to do that at some point. And actually, it's a pretty good list so far. And like I said, we'll get to the second half of the automotive or car guys bucket list. But um, it's good to know that we've we've actually kind of done some of that stuff already. And maybe we'll develop a couple of other things to uh, add to our own uh, personal bucket list. But I remember, Lou, when we first got together a couple of years ago and, and the first car that you uh, videotaped for your uh, YouTube channel, was my 1980 Saab 96, and you were just so smitten with that car from for many different reasons. And I remember when I when I opened the hood, and you're like, "What?" <laughs> um, that car, when it first came out, Saab used exclusively two-stroke engines. They used three-cylinder two-stroke engines. It was a derivative of the DKW two-stroke way back in the uh, early 50s and late 40s. But uh, as the emissions um, uh, got uh, emission requirements got tighter in the U.S. and worldwide. In 1967, Saab uh, was forced to abandon the two-stroke engine and go to a four-stroke, four-cycle engine, and they settled on the Ford Taunus V4. And they did that mainly because they didn't, you know, Saab being such a small company, they didn't have the budget to redesign the entire car, and they needed to get a power plant that would basically just drop right into the, the car without having to redesign it. And they, after extensive testing and things like that, they settled on the, on the Ford V4. And an uh, article that I came across online a little while ago was entitled why v4 engines are brilliant and why you never see them in cars and i found that very interesting because to my knowledge I, th there's a, a handful of other automotive applications that had v4s in them but they're very weird quirky brands that and like some weird russian brands and things like that but really it, the only two uh 
mainstream production cars that we saw here in the U.S. that used a V4 engine were the Saab 96 and the companion, the, the 95 wagon. And then the Sonnet 3 had a V4 in it, too, the Saab Sonnet th- uh, 3. And then the Lanchas, the Lancia Fulvia, and I, so I, probably some other Lancia models, too, but I know the Fulvia for sure had a V4. Um, but this is an article about, you know, what makes the V4s unique and everything. And it, it had a couple of things that I didn't really know about it. The thing that the, the nice thing that I like about the V4 and the Saab is it's a very compact engine. I mean, it's only two cylinders on each side. So for an engine, it's very, very compact. It's only I've never actually measured it, but, you know, it can't be more than maybe 18 inches wide when you're looking at it down on the on the valve cover. It's a tall engine, though, because it's. It's got the the carb on top and the and the air cleaner and just kind of a, a deeper block and then with the oil pan so it's kind of a tall engine from that standpoint. But they said that one of the things that was is good about a V4 engine and I never thought about this is that since it's basically just a block a square, whether it's a cast iron like the the V4s and the Saabs versus a, or or even if it would be an aluminum block, it can be used as a stress member of a chassis and because it's strong because it's just a square so it's not going to flex or anything and that's like hmm that's interesting because Saab obviously didn't do that for that reason but they said that uh it's it's stiff and actually Porsche um uh, had a V4 that they used in a racing application uh they had a car called the 919 and that was a hybrid LMP uh one race car I don't know what year that was but that had a a V4 in it, and that's one reason that Porsche wanted to use it. But that's again in a racing application. Really, the only modern um, V4 uh, applications you see now are in motorcycles from time to time, and you can see why they they do a V4 there because it's an easy way to get a compact four-cylinder engine inside a, a motorcycle frame. Um, and the other things that they were saying about the V4 is if you have a 90-degree V4, which is the 90 degree would be the angle of the of the uh, the V. You would have you wouldn't have any problems with um, balancing or, or rough running, but when you start getting narrower, the Saab has a sixty degree V four, so they have a balance shaft in there to counteract the um, vibrations. And the balance shaft on the Saabs have been kind of somewhat troublesome over the years. Uh, for the longest time, back in the day, they had uh, the balance shaft gear, which is driven off the uh, the, the the cam gears in front, was made of fiber. And it would disintegrate after a while. And if the uh, thing goes out, it doesn't destroy the engine, but your engine stops running and you have to get that gear replaced. But then other people were saying the actual bearings for the balance shaft itself can go out and that can cause issues too. The Lancia, which is crazy because the, the, the Lancia made the V4, but they made such a narrow angle v, V4, they have a 12 degree angle. So when you look at that v4 engine it doesn't even look like a v it looks like an almost like an inline four and if you recall the the volkswagen vr6 which is um a variation of the volkswagen v6 that they made and that was the same thing it's a super narrow angle engine so you look at it and it almost looks like an inline instead of a v but uh, just a, a funky design and i always thought it's just it's just a unique uh a unique engine and i remember lou when you were videotaping my car and i i was saying that kind of sounds has kind of a uh, a flat four sounder like a boxer engine just because of the the configuration of it being you know two two pistons on each side and the engine that it sounds the most like would be an earlier subaru flat four 
it just has that kind of a I almost has kind of a wheezy sound and it's not a high revving engine but uh, at least in the Saab application, and Ford used it uh, in, in Germany in the, in the Ford Taunus, and I think the Cardinal was another uh, car that they made back in the day with the V4, or they talked about bringing out a car called the Cardinal. But anyway, it's super uh, hefty. I mean, it's, it's, it's all cast iron, and they actually use the, the, that engine, the V4, in a lot of industrial applications too, forklifts and stationary uh, applications like pumps and things like that because it's a compact engine it'll just sit there it's not a high revving engine so it'll just sit there and tick away forever and and not uh, not uh, break down but they also said that the only other bad thing about a v4 is it's expensive because you've got two two sets of everything instead of making everything an inline or obviously a v8 you're gonna have two sets of everything too but you're getting a lot more power so it's just an unique i've just always thought it's a very unique engine and i'm just I'm, I'm glad that you know i have a car with a v4 in it because it just makes the sob even more quirky than than you would think but in the uh, last episode lou we were talking about uh, lincoln continentals and as part of what we do here on the car guys report we like to talk about cars that uh, have recently sold uh, on some of the uh, online uh, sites. And again, we turn to our friends at bringatrailer.com, which if you've never been to that website, definitely check out uh, their active auctions. They usually have about 200 active auctions. And you can also search sold auctions. And you can also just go in and search for specific models and see what's sold. And it's a great way to start, too, because if you're interested in a certain model of car, and you want to start doing some research and try to get an idea of what what they should be going for in the in the marketplace it's a great place to start but the 1956 continental mark ii coupe and this is when lincoln and you might be able to add some something to this uh lou was we were talking about imperials in the last episode when uh Lincoln actually made the Continental its own brand, its mm-hmm. own mark. And, right. and they only did it for a couple of years, I think, 56 through maybe 58 or so. I'm not, I'm not, don't know the exact it timeline. Yeah. And this is the huge kind of slab sided Continental from 1956. This car was teal green, had 62,000 miles. Uh, 368 cubic inch V8. The the one picture, there's no hubcaps on it, and the the front uh, bumper definitely needs a rechroming job. But when you looked at the pictures of this car on the inside, it was actually in pretty good shape. And these are hideously expensive cars to restore because everything is try to get trim pieces or interior pieces for this car. You just can't do it because they they don't exist anymore. So and they never were high volume cars. I think I I read that. Um, I don't know, was it Lincoln was losing money on everyone they made or or something? It was just ridiculous amounts of money back in the 50s that, that this car cost. And this thing sold for $13,255. Of course, it needs, my notes here say about ten grand worth of chrome, easy. But um, it seemed pretty clean otherwise. And I think that could be an interesting car for people because you don't see them too much at car shows. Uh, the ones that you do see tend to be modified and customized a little bit too much. So I thought that was uh, I felt that was a pretty good uh, a pretty good buy uh, for a 1956 uh, Continental, not a Lincoln, but a Continental. Continental Mark II. Yes, 
Yes, very upper crust. If you like the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, make sure to check out some of the uh, other programs on the Radio Misfits podcast network. You can head on over to radiomisfits.com and check out shows like Back to You. Legendary Chicago TV personalities Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville talk about life, travel, food, and the long list of what bugs them plus you never know when one of their many famous pals might stop by it's the podcast back to you only on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place check it out at radiomisfits.com you are listening to the car guys report informed automotive i'm mark vernon along with uh, lou costable and you know lou i know you look at hundreds if not thousands of cars a year in your um, uh, trials and tribulations with uh, videotaping for your YouTube channel. Have you ever come across any really odd combinations of cars that the seller claims are original like a you know uh, this is an extreme example let's say somebody would have like a pink interior with a with a red dashboard and a and blue door panels. Have you ever seen anything that Extreme. Brian Graham's out at Volo Auto Museum said, Lou, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but coming out, I got something for you. So I walk, or, you know, pull up to the place. I walk in, and it's a wonderful place to go. It's a family place. Bring your kids. They'll absolutely love it. There's five barns worth of cars. But the short story is I walked up, and I'm looking at this car, and it was a Cadillac station wagon, and it had white panels to it and then it had a pink vinyl top and i thought <laughs> why are you bringing me to see this all right this this would not be my first choice in all the cars that you have here and he looks at me and he goes it's elvis's car oh, okay i said okay well <laughs> let's get the camera going and let's video elvis's cars so yeah so that was a that was a one-off elvis type thing so yeah sometimes people have uh uh, interesting taste and have enough pull to pull that off. Well, you don't necessarily need pull, and I don't know if they. I, I don't really think they do this anymore. But this comes from uh, the segment in uh, the Hemmings uh, magazine called Hemmings Classic Car, and, and we did a segment on the um, the radio news reporters' firsthand knowledge with the GTOs from this column. It's a column called "I Was There" from the magazine, and this was a in one of the recent issues. It was a gentleman that worked at a Ford dealership, and this was back in eh, late '60s, early '70s. And he says here it was the most interesting at the at the end of the model year, as that was when it was time to balance out. And they said the scheduler had to make his daily lineup, but it was further restricted by engine, trim, paint, and equipment choices. And uh, the author goes on to say the most interesting vehicles got built during the balance-out period. Examples were green cars with red interiors, LTDs with Galaxy interiors, four-door sedans with five-speed transmissions, and other unsaleable combinations due to a limited availability of parts and the need to clean out the factory with whatever was left over from the model year. And that just blows me away. Yeah, good <laughs> stuff right like, there. I mean, I don't think they, don't they do that just-in-time scheduling now where they, they have just enough uh, parts to build the cars that are on schedule and they bring in more? They don't, like, stockpile bunch of green interiors then hope somebody orders it and then definitely in the chrysler days some of those were what's left on the shelf so yeah well, I, it, i've heard it and it's crazy it says even at an early age when i was a car buff and i thought about 
when we had to put a 400 cubic inch V8 and 72 Thunderbirds that were supposed to be equipped with either a 429 or a 460 engine, but because those were temporarily unavailable, it didn't happen. And then he says, what happens when 25 years from now, when the owner says his antique Thunderbird and a judge advises him, your engine is wrong. He goes, Ford never built this car with his engine. And he goes, oh, yes, they did. <laughs> Right. <laughs> he did all sorts of things to keep factories rolling during model changeovers or equipment shortages. The factories had to use up whatever was left over no matter what. So those cars got built and shipped to the dealers to sell. Who the heck bought those things? I mean, who would buy a, a green LTD with a red interior? I mean, right. I'd like to see the LTD with the, with the five-speed transmission, though. That'd be cool. That sounds fun. That would be really cool. But that just I, I just read that, and just, that, that just blew me away. It's like, wow. So maybe some of the weird stuff we're going to see at car shows or in museums, it, that's the way. If you've got the factory build sheet and it's on there, it's official. Um, and another thing, too, that, you know, as car guys we come across is a lot of um, – you know, folklore and maybe some apophrical type of tales where, uh, you know, somebody told somebody that this was happening and or this happened or it was this way because of that way. And, and you don't know what if it's really true or not true. And um, have you ever noticed, Lou, that uh, in a Porsche, the ignition key is on the left side of the steering wheel? Yes. And what is the reason for that? That's when they jump in at Le Mans. It's on the left-hand side, so it's quicker to get in. So you have fallen into the trap of believing the folklore. Is that the folklore? That's the folklore. That is the <laughs> exact reason why they claim to have the um, ignition switch on the left-hand side, because they said most Porsche drivers would tell, probably tell you the story their dealers told them. The outboard place ignition key lock, now the start-stop switch, was a racing innovation. Up until 1970, the 24 hours of Le Mans endurance race employed a running start, which I always thought was so cool, where the, where the, yeah. the drivers run out and get in their cars. When competitors would sprint across the track, jump in their cars, and roar away, the ignition switch on the left allowed a Porsche driver to start the car while shifting into gear and, and driving off. And and that's the the oh, story wow. they like to say. And this is according to uh, Dan Neal from the uh, Wall Street Journal. But the truth the is. The real reason, apparently, was in uh, the development of, of Porsches in the 40s, the late 40s. And they were still, still post-war, you know, rebuilding of Germany. He said its placement had nothing to do with racing. In the early post-war period, when the company amounted to a mere handful of men hammering and welding in an old sawmill, electrical wire was scarce. Putting a switch on the left saved a little bit of money and a little bit of wire. And that's, that's the, the real reason. reason they had it on the left-hand side. And it kind of makes sense because they would do everything they, they could to economize. Yeah. And Obviously, it yeah it makes a great story, but that's supposedly the real reason why Porsches have the ignition key on the left. But I'm glad they've kept it on the left because it becomes an iconic yeah. thing, something that you're associated with. So you can keep telling that story and believing that if you want, Lou. But <laughs> every time I get in my 911 now, I'm going to think there and go, okay, that's the real reason that that's like that. All right. Make sure that you uh, subscribe to the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. If you like what you hear on this podcast, you can uh, check us out via iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And when you subscribe, you'll get yourself a uh, push notification letting you know that there's a new episode of the Car Guys Report, and it makes it easy to follow us on whatever device you're using, whether it's your phone, your tablet, or even your laptop. Check it out at Radio Miss 
Misfits. You can search Radio Misfits or just search for The Car Guys Report. It is uh, part of the Radio Misfits podcast network. We're at the point of the podcast, Lou, when it's your turn to tell us what is coming up on My Car Story, your wonderful YouTube channel that never ceases to amaze and dazzle us with the cars that you find. Well, thanks, Mark. The um, <clears throat> couple of them, one is uh, a 1951 Ford Custom Convertible that has a, uh, I'm not a huge fan of judging, but I'm just going to mention that this car was a thousand point car, which wow. means basically it's perfect. And the best parts of that is what I call the trunk and treats. So when you open up the trunk, you have time period correct brochures, and you go through some of those things, and that makes it a lot more fun, or what I like to call a lot, a lot more than a car show. Uh, you mentioned V12, so I was noticing a 1994 BMW 850 mm-hmm. CSI 8 Series E31 in black with a V12. So that's another one that's on the channel. Um, because I like to mix it up, there's a 1935 Terraplane Custom. Good story on that one. And then lastly, I'd like to, to end with a little muscle, a 1970 Dodge Challenger TA in red. But the interesting thing with that is the gentleman had his daughter with. So I said, no, she's got to be in the video because this is great. And I asked her on the camera, I said, uh, what do you think about, you know, Dodges and your dad's stuff? And he says, well, dad's, you know, born, bred and brainwashed. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great response. Good, so good. Born, bred and brainwashed. There you go. Yeah, you know those uh, those V12 BMWs, those 850s. Um, if you can find a good one, because a lot of them that you find are they're dirt cheap. If you find a one that's got like 150 thousand miles on them, that could be a real question mark. But that's another car that is rapidly, no pun intended, accelerating out of uh, affordability uh, to get a good one, a good clean low mileage one. Um, the prices are climbing, but if you look hard enough, you can still find a, a good one for a pretty reasonable price. And that's a unique car. It's got the hideaway. I think it's got the hideaway headlights. Yeah. On it, yeah. And the V12. It's got a. I don't think they ever put a, a manual transmission in those. I think they were all automatics. But it's a great-looking car, and you just don't see them because they didn't make that yeah, many the of them. Yeah, the front end's super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's a neat-looking car. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, a little bit of personal opinion uh, from my days driving a Renault Le Car. You remember those uh, those uh, uh, funky little French cars? I do. And uh, we'll talk about the much-maligned Renault R5, which is actually the real model number from the Lacar, and why it uh, really doesn't deserve the reputation that it uh, unfortunately has ended up with. Plus, the uh, most current, least complicated cars you can buy, meaning that, yes, in 2019, you can still find a car with roll-up windows. And we'll uh, talk about uh, if you're one of these Luddites that don't want power windows or air conditioning, what uh, models that uh, you can buy that actually don't offer those kinds of features. It's all part of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. Thanks so much for taking some time to listen to what we have to say here on the Car Guys Report. Certainly appreciate you uh, being part of what we're doing here. And uh, we'd like to say special thanks to executive producer. Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo, spelled backwards, O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Check it out at radiomisfits.com. <laughs>
The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? If you missed Losano or Los Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed. Happy to be here today, Cheryl Scott, meteorologist. Hi, Fred Winston, Chicago radio guy. I'm Rob Hart in Chicago. How about that weather? This is a good show to do that. Yeah, what the hell, man? It's, uh, <laughs> I Don't th- blame the messenger. I'm not blaming the messenger. That's got to be the worst part about being a meteorologist. They blame you for the for, for the sun or the snow or right. whatever. I'm so. like everyone's best friend when it's sunny in seven days. <laughs> and like yesterday, I was everyone's worst friend. Yeah. But I know that weather changes so dramatically... We do seven-day forecasts, and right. I go, well, seven days, it sometimes changes seven times in those seven days. <laughs> <laughs> but science is getting more and more accurate. Oh, it does. So has the Earth been knocked off its axis? I, I, I keep hearing stuff uh, about that. Uh, from the conspiracy idiots at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're going. <laughs> Radio Misfits. Get more Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lozano or whatever the f- it's called. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, we'll talk about the Le Car, the funky French car that never earned the respect it should have in the States. Plus, can you still get manual roll-up windows in a new car? I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and Luke Costable for these stories and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>